It's the beginning of March in Princeton, New Jersey. Packed snow from a succession of February storms remains sturdy and tired on the ground. It doesn't seem to want to leave, although the snowmen have long since collapsed into heaps of mush. Today, I come to you with a ballad, a song of seasons passing, of nature and of our place in it, to warm you when Princeton's climate surely won't. I'll tell you about Mary Oliver and American Primitive, her Pulitzer Prize-winning book of poems. And together, we will learn what it is to live in nature. Listen in. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Gabriel Bear. You're listening to Bookish, a prospect podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about American Primitive by Mary Oliver. In 2007, the New York Times described Mary Oliver as far and away this country's best-selling poet. She's an icon, the icon maybe, of American poetry in the last half century. Her first collection, No Voyage, came out in 1963, and she published 33 poetry collections and four essay collections before her death in 2019. American Primitive is probably her finest work. It was released in 1983 and won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1984. It's a book about the nature and wildness of this country, making it one of the best works of transcendentalism since Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, both of whom Oliver cited as inspirations. The book feels like something between an almanac, a field guide, and an overgrown meadow. Oliver's poems sprout from the soil and catalog America's wilderness. God brought every beast of the field and every bird of the air to Adam and asked him to name it. But Adam was outdone by Mary Oliver. If one only looks through the table of contents, they'll find egrets, the bobcat, vultures, and ghosts. There's the fish and bluefish and humpbacks and the snakes. Each of the animals comes with a story a small fable and a poem to describe the creature. Now, Oliver doesn't come up with many new stories, preferring to draw on ones that feel familiar to the reader. She writes poetry, a word which derives from the word for piling things up, not fiction, a word which derives from the word for crafting something new. Oliver collects stories in American Primitive. The poem John Chapman described one of these fables, not of an animal, but of Johnny Appleseed. Quote, he wore a sackcloth shirt and walked barefoot on feet crooked as roots. And everywhere he went, the apple trees sprung up behind him lovely as young girls. By citing the collective stories of American folklore like this one, Oliver is like an American Ovid, stringing together our mythos. She continues later in the poem, well, the trees he planted or gave away prospered, and he became the good legend. The legends Oliver builds upon help us feel connected to this land and its physical history. The life and stories Oliver recounts are extremely alive. She represents us in her poetry with color. Through all 50 poems in the book, there's a theme of blackness like a berry that's so juicy and sweet that it looks dark. 
everything in American Primitive is rich, dark, and full. It's not hard to find this blackness in the book. There are swollen blackberries, black honey, dark creeks, black bells, and blackberries again. In April, Oliver writes, the ponds open like black blossoms in the poem called Blossom. Blackness represents life in the collection in general. In the poem Crossing the Swamp, Oliver refers to the swamp as black slack earth soup, later clarified as the rich and succulent marrows of earth. The theme of blackness appears from the beginning of the collection. The first poem, August, begins, quote, When the blackberries hang swollen in the woods, and the brambles nobody owns, I spend all day among the high branches, reaching my ripped arms, thinking of nothing, cramming the black honey of summer into my mouth. August is an example, too, of Oliver's ecstasy in nature. Oliver's nature is powerfully hedonistic, full of unfettered desire, joy, and euphoria. The beginning of a later poem called Spring sounds and feels like Eden. Quote, I lift my face to the pale flowers of the rain. They're soft as linen, clean as holy water. Meanwhile, my dog runs off, nose down packed leaves into damp, mysterious tunnels. The book is full of unironic and unequivocal goodness. And in The Roses, Oliver writes how this pure joy is never an expendable resource. She calls jubilantly in that poem, There is no end, believe me, to the inventions of summer, to the happiness your body is willing to bear. I think of Sylvia Plath's famous line from the bell jar, I felt my lungs inflate with the onrush of scenery. Air, mountains, trees, people. I thought, this is what it is to be happy. Plath and Oliver agree. To soak in the flowery world is to be truly happy. Non-human characters feel this pure joy too in Oliver's poetry. She uses the joyous actions of animals to elicit and represent feelings of joy in us. In Humpbacks, Oliver writes about cresting whales, and in reading it, I felt my heart crest too. Here's a part of a stanza from that poem. We wait, not knowing just where it will happen. Suddenly, they smash through the surface. Someone begins shouting for joy and you realize it is yourself as they surge upward and you see for the first time how huge they are as they breach and dive and breach again through the shining blue flowers of the split water. The humpbacks are a physical manifestation of our joy and how we should let it flow out. Oliver makes this more clear at the end of the poem. Listen, whatever it is you try to do with your life, nothing will ever dazzle you like the dreams of your body, where everything, even the great whale, throbs with song. The whales are all pure joy, bursting from the water. 
Oliver's characters live in their desire and feel all their emotions powerfully. I should note that while I enjoy these characteristics of Oliver's poetry, the virile, colorful hedonism, they're not the best part of American Primitive. This facet of the collection, while warm and beautiful, is uncomplicated and rather simple. That can be a note in its favor, for sure. Joy without inhibitions is valuable. But I like another, more complicated facet of this book more. Aside from writing about how beautiful life is, Oliver also considers what it means to live. Not surprisingly, it's difficult to define exactly what life is. Oliver takes a few different approaches to explain it. First, she suggests that life is something spontaneously created from the black earth. For instance, in one poem, mushrooms are drawn out of the ground. Or maybe life is simply the violent desire not to die. In the poem called The Fish, the titular animal, quote, would not lie down, quiet in the pale, but flailed and sucked at the burning amazement of the air, and died in the slow pouring off of rainbows. I think it may be more complicated than that. Consider this. In The Kitten, the speaker buries a stillborn kitten born with one eye in the middle of its forehead. The speaker considers telling the news or a museum, but then decides to quietly bury the cat in the backyard. The poem ends, I think I did right to go out alone and give it back peacefully to cover the place with reckless blossoms of weeds. Life goes on. The kitten came from ashes, and to ashes it shall return. But this is a description less of how to live than to how to die, imploring us to dig deeper into Oliver's writing. At one point, Oliver straight out tells us what is necessary to live. At the end of In Blackwater Falls, she gives three commandments. Quote, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your whole life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, let it go. Now I'm struck by this line, and I love it, but I don't think it's Oliver's best solution for what it is to live. It's closer to how to live, not what it is to live. Moles, a poem early in the collection, answers this question the best. It may only describe moles and their little lives under the ground. But the poem ends like this, describing the animal's livelihood. So excitable, so plush, so willing to continue generation after generation, accomplishing nothing but their brief physical lives as they live and die, pushing and shoving with their stubborn muzzles against the whole earth and finding it delicious. And so do we, as people. Our lives are short, and at any meaningful scale, are worth close to nothing. But we keep plunging forward, keep bashing our heads against the wall, keep poking our fingers against the keyboard. To live life, to marry Oliver, 
is to refuse to give up and to simply continue plugging along. Oliver's best answer for what it is to live is not to try not to die or to admire the world or even to love. And we should keep doing these things, sure, but they're not her best answer. That is this. To live is nothing but to keep living. We are moles pushing and shoving against the earth. The least we can do down here in the dirt is enjoy it. podcast was written and recorded by me, Gabriel Bear, and was produced under the 145th Managing Board of the Daily Princetonian. It was edited by Cammy Lee and produced by Franny Block with production help from Isabel Rodriguez. Have a book you want us to review or want to talk about a previous episode? Send us an email at podcast at dailyprincetonian.com. For the Daily Princetonian, this has been Bookish. Have a great day, and keep reading.